Welcome back to the Fostering Financial Victories podcast. My name is Eric Mazel. I'm your co-host here with uh, Bree Prosser. Uh, today, we are joined by another team member of Foster Victor, uh, Smith Webster. So, Bree, give everybody a little bit of background around what we are going to dive into. Hopefully, you don't turn this off when you hear that we're talking about taxes. <laughs> So Smith is our tax expert around the office. He kind of helps all of our clients with guidance on that. So tell us a little bit about what you do for the Foster Victor team a little bit more specifically. Sure. And, and thank you for having me today. I really appreciate the invite. Uh, so I like to say my role is kind of a three-prong role. I started out as a two-prong, but I, the, the third is kind of developed along the way now. Uh, so First thing I do is sit in with the the advisory teams, uh, working with our clients on mainly the carving out the tax uh, planning piece of their financial plan. Uh, the second is um, you know building out a network of CPAs, uh, you know when our and then helping our clients when they have situations where they need to engage a CPA, really trying to to refer them out to CPAs that are or within our network and that we uh, you know work closely with. And then the third, this kind of developed along the way, is really education piece, uh, keeping our clients informed of tax law changes and also uh, keeping the, the internally the advisory team and, and planning team and everybody in, you know, really uh, up to speed on tax law changes and, and just trying to educate uh, from a tax perspective. You make taxes more interesting, I would say. <laughs> well, that, I'm, that's good to hear. You have the greatest beard in the office. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. All right. So, Smith, I think the biggest question we always get from clients is, hey, well, well, you guys do my taxes now that you have a CPA on staff. Can you talk through a little bit of that and kind of how we've tried to keep that a little separate? Yeah. So I, I do not do taxes, uh, just to answer that question up front. Uh, we, we are, um, you know, really want to, to enhance the tax planning component of our financial uh, planning process. So, you know, getting, getting to a point where, um, the clients understand things and and really can go out and then engage with their CPA is the main goal there. Uh, we want to help make that process as smooth as possible. We also want to um, you know help if they have questions along the way uh, in order to to just get in front of any issues that may come up uh, for them and then make that again make that process as as smooth as possible. Cool. All right. So total disclaimer. I know we have one at the end of this. This is not tax advice. Okay. So please don't. Take this for your specific situation. But what we want to talk about is kind of the value that a CPA can bring. So you've been a CPA for how long? Uh, in public practice for eight years. Okay, so eight years into this, and you've now transitioned into basically a totally different realm of CPA sure. uh, practicing. Mm -hmm. So for an individual taxpayer, as they are getting into that tax time, starting to prepare for filing and whatnot, the question always comes up is, do I need a CPA or can I do this on my own? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Uh, I think, you know, unfortunately, we, you can no longer as an individual taxpayer deduct tax preparation fees. Uh, that's something that went away with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Uh, so it always becomes a cost benefit analysis. Uh, are you going to get some benefit out of whatever fee you pay? Uh, there's a lot of different ways to look at that. So from a procrastinator's perspective, um, me speaking to myself, who those who wait to the end of the time for, for tax filing, they may want to have a CPA do it, but they may be forced to kind of go and do it themselves because everybody's you know, already slammed and too busy. So you know, from a, a decision-making perspective, as they're starting to think early on in the year, maybe it's right now, 
I, do they start the process? Kind of what do they start doing today to think if I'm going to use a CPA in the spring, what, what do I need to be thinking about? <laughs> Sorry, I stumped him again. <laughs> okay. Good. That's what editing's for. All right. All good. John, I'm on fire today. <laughs> all right. So, Smith, what should clients look for when it comes down to whether they choose a CPA or whether they do this on their own? Uh, you know, from a pure W-2 taxpayer, uh, you have some very limited inputs into your tax return. Let's say just a W-2 form, maybe a 1099 INT. Uh, you, you know, you're probably going to be able to get away with doing the taxes on your own uh, with the you know tax preparation software. Now, if you have some changes uh, in your tax situation, or there are things that are outside of those you know easy inputs. Uh, in, in general, I think that you would want to look at starting to engage a, a CPA at that point. So from a, a basically a complex uh, standpoint, there's a, it sounds like there's a mesh point where it seems to be more beneficial to not try to wing it on your own. Sure. Uh, you know, from a co- complex standpoint, I mean, r- really, and, and I'll be completely transparent here, uh, you know, the tax law is, is very complex. Uh, there's a, been a lot of changes over the last several years. Um, I, as a, as a licensed CPA, have to do 40 hours of continuing education every year in order to, to keep up with the licensing requirements. Um, even with that, I go above and beyond those hours, countless hours researching tax rules, researching tax laws, um, you know, researching tax cases, uh, tax court cases. Uh, you, you know, I, I think that it's so complex that it's even hard for me to keep up with all of it. Um, so, the complexity is there regardless. Uh, it, it's always going to be there. Um, but when you have just some limited inputs, if you're really comfortable, uh, you know, navigating government forms, reading through things, even reviewing your tax returns once you've prepared them, then I think you can, you, you can get away with, um, you know, just using tax software. Uh, it's, and it's not necessarily going to be as complex as, um, you know, some other situations. So what would be some scenarios to where it would I behoove somebody to say, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to hand this off. It's probably some things that I'm going to miss by doing it myself, whether it be on TurboTax or whomever. Um, sure. Is there anything that kind of mm. pops up as a, a generality that says you, you might want to let someone do that? I mean, we can run down the list. Yeah. Self-employed individuals, uh, people with, with uh, rental properties, uh, those are going to be some complex situations. And there are a lot of rules, uh, you know, especially with real estate, the passive loss um, limitation rules, navigating those, uh, you know, you, you especially want to make sure with a real estate situation like that, that you are tracking your passive loss uh, carryovers. Uh, those are, since those are, are limited, you know, if you're not keeping track of those, you're not going to be able to utilize them when you go to sell that property in the future. Um, so that's a, a, you know, scenario that I would say that someone definitely needs to, to engage a CPA. Kind of worth the, worth the price of admission. Absolutely. Okay. Um, what do you feel like, a good CPA, like what kind of qualities do you think someone should look for? So really some, some simple, basic things. Uh, a CPA should obviously have a license that's in good standing. <laughs> it's probably a <laughs> um, good, good start. Good start. Yeah. So you, you can actually go and check up on that. The IRS maintains a, a database uh, where you can go and look and see if somebody has registered as a, a paid tax preparer with the IRS. Uh, you can also go to the State Board of Accountancy and um, look up a licensee uh, there. Uh, they, they should also publish disciplinary issues. So if there's ever been a disciplinary issue with a, a CPA, then you should be able to find that information on the, the state website. Okay. Uh, another, 
Another thing would be, I, I would say just, you know, transparency with fees, uh, you know, that that can lead to a point of contention in the future, I think, with your CPA relationship. If you have hidden fees and you're not sure what you're paying for, you're not sure on what, you know, what you're getting the, you know, for, for your your cost um, for, for tax planning, tax preparation. So I think transparency on the fees, uh, contingent fees in a CPA relationship are typically not allowed. There's some you know, extenuating circumstances there, but contingency fees, you should probably avoid those kind of situations. So what does that, that what does that actually mean? Where where like if if you know we give get an X uh, you know a large enough refund, then you're gonna give us X dollars of that refund. Like Something a, like that. Almost that's like a commission. Not allowed, yeah. Almost like a commission. Um, so I think transparency of the fees, just being upfront with them about that. And then really uh, one of the the big things would be just aligning their experience and maybe a specialty that they have with your specific situation. Okay. The, 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 the one, uh, the one term that always comes up is, uh, from an audit perspective. So is it really worth worrying a whole lot about for a typical W2 employee is, you know, from a, hey, I'm really concerned about if I take this deduction or whomever, is it, is it auditable? Like, what do you see there? Is it, is it really worth the, the hassle worrying about it? Well, it's supposed to be completely random. So yeah. I think everybody has a fair enough chance of, of getting audited, uh, that would be my official answer. I, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, in a, in simple situations, there's not a lot of room for error. Okay. So, uh, you know, you probably would receive a notice maybe with an adjustment on your taxes if something was was incorrect on your on your return. But I, you know, I don't see necessarily a, a big audit risk for someone who's W-2 with a, with a few inputs into their their tax return. Is there one thing that people have uh a similarity or a common commonality with that have been audited that you've seen like a deduction, like a certain type of deduction or a certain type of industry that they may be working in, or like, is there something similar? Well, there are listed transactions with the IRS. Uh, so they, they publish that every year. These are ones that are going to be, um, you know, more sensitive, more high risk from an audit perspective. Uh, one that we could mention in particular is like a conservation easement. So if you're okay. involved with the syndicated conservation easement, maybe that syndication is going to get audited, but you also have to file some things along with your return that are going to say, hey, I'm claiming deductions from this syndicated conservation easement. That may alert you to, you know, or, or you know, kind of run up the flagpole that would say, you know, here's, here's a, a higher audit risk return. Okay. So would that be on your list of like, if you're looking to do this, maybe you need to look at a CPA versus a do-it-yourself situation. Absolutely, yes, because there, there are uh, there's a lot of risk with not filling out those forms properly. So uh, you need to file, find a CPA who's actually familiar with filling out those forms and, and reporting that. Uh, so yeah, I absolutely need a CPA in that that scenario. So since we're talking about auditing, um, federal government just uh, voted to expand the IRS pretty substantially. What are your thoughts on on how that might might look? Well, they, they say that it's for the intention of uh, auditing and and looking at higher net worth individuals uh, and then you know corporations and things like that. So, I, I, you know, from from the the face of it, it does not seem like it's going to impact uh, you know sort of middle class to to lower income families. Uh, so, you know, you have to take them at their word at this point that that that's the intention of it. Uh, it certainly could. You know, you know, more people that they bring on, more, um, you know, uh, manpower that they have at the IRS, then is certainly, you know, 
going to allow them to look into other areas and things that maybe they have deferred for several years just because they don't have the resources to to be able to look into those things. Okay. Getting a lot of different uh, different opinions from many different sides of the, the aisle, it seems. Um, okay, so pros and cons of doing your own taxes or having a CPA do them. Ready, set, go. The, the pros list is going to be pretty short. Okay. Uh, you, you may save some money okay. uh, on the preparation fees. Uh, and then you may be able to brag to your friends that you did your tax return. I don't, I don't know of any other real pros to doing <laughs> it on your own. Um, the cons, I mean, certainly, you know, the fact that you may miss deductions and credits, uh, you, you also are going to have lost time. Uh, time is a big thing uh, that goes into this. And I actually have a couple stats that I can uh, share with oh, you. Please, Try to stump you guys on do. this. Yeah. <laughs> um, re- uh, increased stress level. I mean, taxes are pretty stressful. I remember growing up, I could see my dad around tax time trying to do it on his own. And he was, you know, both my parents were W-2 uh, income uh, employees. And he was always extremely stressed during, during tax time trying to prepare his own return. So increased stress levels of con, uh, you know, those... The, going back to the time piece, though, uh, the IRS, interestingly enough, actually publishes uh, average times that it takes to prepare a tax return. Um, they include in these averages uh, preparation time, record keeping time. So you got to think all your bookkeeping and everything yeah. uh, and then reporting and filing. So question for either one of you uh, on the form 1040, which is going to be your individual mm-hmm. tax return. So they break it down into non-business versus business. So the non-business is going to think just your Form 1040 and then maybe a few schedules that go along with it. The business is going to be Form 1040, maybe a Schedule C for somebody who's a sole proprietor or um, Schedule E with rental real estate. So any guesses as to how much time the IRS says it should take you to have all your taxes complete for the non-business return? So if you're doing it on your own? Doing it. Well, it's just... I think this this encompasses if you engage someone, okay. if you um, you know do it on your own. And this is what the IRS says versus what it actually takes, plus like mental breaks and like <laughs> taking a water break. I, I, maybe yeah, that's all built in. I'm going to let you take it because no idea. Way to be noncommittal. <laughs> Way to go. Um, I've actually filed my taxes a few times and I can think back. It probably took me about eight or nine hours in total to from start to finish now. Uh, the stress level was, I, I agree with you. It's, it's a little bit unique because you don't do that every day. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but I'd, I'd say that's probably on average. What's the actual? Any, any guess from you? She's no, not, it's not, 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 okay. not even going to try. No. All right. It's nine hours. Was it really? That was it. How about yeah, that? Good job. It's on average. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, and then the business side. So this is plus the personal. So yes, yeah, it's ten forty with your schedule C right. or your schedule so E. We're at nine hours. I'm going to add another five. Almost there. Twenty two hours. Okay. Still not guessing. No, still not guessing. All right. Well, I've got a little bit more for you. Okay. So if we, we're talking about corporations, S corporations, partnerships. So you're okay. thinking form ten sixty sixty five for the partnership, eleven twenty S for the S corp. And 1120 for the, the C-Corp. Now, this ranges do I, do I, do very get, widely. Do I get to call a friend on um, the, these numbers? Sure. I have sure. <laughs> so so this, this is going to be a just a, you know very small business uh, in a very large business. This is a wide range. But these are separate returns. So, okay. so flow-through type returns, um, the, which would be the partnership and, and the uh, S-Corp, those are, are going to – you're going to get a Schedule K-1 from that return, and then it flows through on your individual return. So these are completely separate returns. Uh, from the the 1040. 
So how much time on that one? I, I'm not going to make you guess because it's, it's all over the map. So it's between 75 hours on the low end for a small business and 895 hours on the large end. That's really going to be a really big, you know, corporation. That's that's a lot of time. It is a lot of time. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot. of time. But but we do have a lot of clients that, you know, own businesses that have S corps or partnerships. Sure. Uh, so so there's a, a big burden on them to to, you know, come up with that time if they're running the business, they don't necessarily want to spend time doing yeah. their tax work. Okay. So since you bring up the time component from a cost perspective, I think that's probably where a lot of people make that decision. Is it worth me spending however much it costs to get a CPA to do it? Or can I just do it on my own? What do you feel like is an average cost for tax preparation for an individual, not business owner? It's a W-2 employee. I, I think that's for, for a W-2 employee, um, it's kind of hard to say. I mean, it's it's all over the place. I mean, you have CPAs that work at bigger firms. So you're going to have somebody at the bigger firm that's preparing the return and maybe a manager that's reviewing the return. And then you're going to get a partner level return. That's going to be more expensive uh, than just having somebody who's a CPA on their own that, um, you know, would maybe charge a minimum fee, maybe two or three hundred dollars to prepare the return. OK, so. It's, this is not on your list of questions, by the way. <laughs> so let's talk through the dynamic with like what capacity CPAs would work in, whether that is them just filing taxes or whether that's now they're sitting down and doing tax planning. Because there's a big difference. So can you talk through kind of how that might look from a different engagement standpoint? Sure. Yeah. The, the tax planning piece is much more proactive. Uh, your, your filing is just going to be, you know, once every year, compiling all the information that you have from the year. Um, you know, tax planning is going to be sitting down and looking at your tax situation, uh, trying to, to figure out if there are changes that are coming up within your your tax situation, uh, things that they can you can take advantage of. Maybe you're inheriting some money, maybe you have an inherited IRA or something like that, that uh, you need to plan around um, the, the distribution rules that come along with a, an inherited IRA. Um, just just a lot of different things. If you're selling a property, uh, things like that. I mean, those are all factors that come into the planning phase of this. Uh, you know, typically the CPAs start planning around October or November uh, of the year before the, the filing season ends. Uh, so that's kind of the timeline of, of the planning. Um, and then, you know, that's going to be a separate engagement from your tax preparation. Uh, so typically you're going to get another fee uh, that's just for the tax planning um, that's separate from the actual preparation. So that's something that, that people should expect uh, yeah. when, they're, when they're going in to engage a CPA. So with that being in mind, do you, do most CPAs just charge a flat rate? Do they charge it by the hour? How do they do it? It depends. It varies by CPA. Okay. Uh, you know, it, it is hourly or fixed fee. Um, typically for a planning engagement, I would, I would more expect more of the hourly rate. Uh, and then probably for a preparation, it, you know, maybe a, a fixed fee, unless there's something that's, that wasn't, you know, known about when they went into preparation and there's additional work that has to go into preparing the return, then maybe it, becomes an hourly rate. This it's out of the scope of, of what you originally agreed, uh, agreed to with the CPA. Okay. Is it beneficial for someone who has been filing their taxes individually to, so let's say they're going to work with a CPA this coming tax year. Is it beneficial for them to have that person look back at previous year's filings to make sure that it was done in the best, uh, best way? Absolutely. Uh, and one example of that, we talked about the real estate earlier 
and some of those passive losses that could be limited, you want to make sure that those are carried for properly. So CPA should be going back and looking at their return, making sure that you're not missing any of those from a carry forward perspective. Uh, because then, like like we said earlier, once you go to to sell a, a property, uh, you may have had all those passive losses limited along the way. Well, you can actually take those when you sell the property. So, so how far back can someone go to have their quote unquote uh, tax forms audited basically by the CPA? Yeah, three years in three? general. Yeah, uh, okay. would be the statute of limitations um, unless there's, you know, gross misrepresentations on the return, uh, then the IRS typically is not going to go back more than three years. Uh, So from a starting perspective, if you're engaging a new CPA, they generally would ask for three to five years of tax returns. Uh, Maybe they go back further and look uh, in previous years if there are some real estate holdings or something like that, where you want to make sure that you're you're actually looking at all those um, passive losses. And the hope would be that they're going to save you or find you more money than what they're going to charge you. Absolutely. Right. That's, that's the end goal. <laughs> <laughs> not, you might not be in the greatest position. Right. <laughs> but to that point, I mean, we're talking about the W2 uh, wage earners. Yeah. There, there aren't as many opportunities in that scenario for, for CPA to go back and, and find things. Um, it, it's just, it's just not uh, part of their tax situation. Okay. Do you mention that tax planning or tax prep, fees are no longer deductible. Is there anything else that people should know about, but maybe kind of flew under the radar like that? If it's not, that's okay. But I, I think that the, the most recent thing that we've, we've run into is, is with back, with the inherited IRAs and the complicated rules that are around those um, in general, you know, with a spouse, a spouse inherits the IRA, then they have uh, the rest of their life to distribute the, the IRA um, once they reach that required minimum distrib- distribution age, uh, if you're, you know, a child and a beneficiary and inheriting that, then you have 10 years, uh, to, to distribute the account. Um, if, if the, um, original owner of the account was after the, the required minimum distribution age of 72, then you may have a, an RMD requirement that has to, you have to complete within those 10 years. Okay. So Smith, we're going to kind of stop the tax talk. Um, there are a couple questions that have always been asked to every guest on, on this show. Um, you probably have heard these questions. I a few have, times. Yes. So guess what? I'm not asking those. <laughs> um, no, I prepared my answers too. <laughs> I bet you did. <laughs> I see what you brought. Okay. So actually I do want to know what's the last two things you spent money on. So my daughter's birthday party, we okay. went to a uh, ropes course in like a zip line park. Yep. Um, so I paid for the birthday party there and then my wife drives a minivan, uh, has a lot of Does that uh, flames on the side. No, no, no. flames. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. Though. It is. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to put that on the side of the van when she shows up uh, in the driveway. <laughs> uh, but it has a lot of like electronics and sliding doors and everything. The battery kept dying on it. So I went to uh, the store and I said, give me the biggest battery you have. And that's one of the last things I spent money that's on. Super exciting. Yeah, right it's very, it's yeah. very exciting. Yes. You could have put a, like a, a super like stereo system in there. Or no, I'm getting the decals, the flame okay. decals. All right. So the other question I had for you, is there a favorite podcast that you're listening to right now? Um, or for all mankind. Okay. For all mankind. What is that? That's a show on Apple TV. Uh, it's about space exploration kind of. Okay. My nerdy side coming out besides the tax stuff. <laughs> um, so uh, they have a show recap, and I like to to listen into okay. that. But I also listen to the 
Foster Victor podcast. That's, good. As well. That's, good. That's a good answer yeah. right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, is there anything that you've read in the last three months that you feel like people need to know about? Uh, I mean, we've been reading about the Inflation Reduction uh, Act. That doesn't really have nobody's going to go read the Inflation it. Reduction Act. It, it doesn't yeah. really have on the face <laughs> of it anything to be concerned about. Um, but recently, you know, been doing some reading on the inherited IRA okay. issue. So that I think that's one that that's pretty big that people okay. need to to be aware of. Cool. Um, and there are some proposed changes, um, which we may receive a final ruling at the end of the the year uh, to to kind of clear up some some misconceptions with uh, with the rules mis- misinterpretations of the rules. Awesome. All right. Good. Okay. Uh, and the one other thing, Secure Act two may actually push the RMDH back from 72 to 75. So we're kind of still waiting on that as well. So you just brought up another acronym, the RMD. Tell everybody what that is. The required minimum distribution. Okay. So when you have a qualified retirement account, uh, you've deferred taxes out on that account. Um, you know, f- as long as you've been saving into it, uh, eventually the government wants to get their money. So they're going to require you to start taking money out, and then it's going to be taxed at, at ordinary tax rates. That'd be good if they push that back a little bit. It would be good. Yeah. It, would, it would definitely open up some planning opportunities for, sure. for us. Yep. Cool. Where are you going to take us out? Sure. So thanks so much for spending some time with us, Smith. Thank you for making the long trek from Foster Victor to be with us. If you have any questions, topic suggestions, or things you want us to cover, you can find us at fostervictor.com. Follow us on Instagram at Foster Victor Wealth Advisors. Share this with a friend, subscribe, download, and let us know what you think. Information contained in this podcast was intended for general use, not to be used as specific advice. For content tailored to your personal situation, please contact one of our wealth coaches.